0: Hello again, Fight Fans. Welcome to episode 347 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, as always. Doing it a little early this Monday, as I said last week. For the next few weeks, we're going to go a little bit early, a little bit shorter. Um, But by the end of this month, we'll be back to regularly scheduled programming. Uh, So, TNC 347, and we are already in February. Guys, uh, we got one month down. We got 11 months to go. And uh, the the schedule is going to be a little dry for a few weeks here, but it's going to pick up very, very soon. And we got some great stuff to look forward to. I'll talk about some of that in just a second. Some more fights announced uh, this week, officially announced heavyweight fights. Before I get into all that, just a quick reminder, guys, uh, make sure that you're subscribed click that notification bell. If you can't watch the live video, all good, you can watch later. If you prefer to listen to the audio pod, I know the overwhelming majority of my audience listens to the audio podcast. I know a lot of you guys do enjoy the the YouTube, but I'd say 80 plus percent, 90% of my audience is on the audio pod. Guys, if you're downloading the audio podcast, you're listening somewhere, just make sure that you spread the word, make sure you're subscribing, leaving a review, a rating. Those things help me tremendously. It's pretty much what I rely on to get word of the show out there, right? Um, we, don't, we don't pay for ads. We don't do any of that kind of stuff. We don't pay to play. We don't buy subscribers. We don't do that over here. Just put out the show as much as I can. You guys know that I have a ton going on in my life um, that I'm dealing with. But I still enjoy doing this. I still enjoy mixing it up with you guys and chatting with you, despite uh, all the craziness going on in this world and in my life, I should say, uh, in my little world. Um, It's still great. So that's why I'm here. And I hope you guys enjoy it. If you do pay the fee, the fee is spread the word about the show. All right. And make sure that you're subbed. Make sure that you're dropping ratings and reviews. I I need more of those. I need more of those, okay? I haven't really pushed for those lately, so make sure you guys are doing that. All right, let's get into some news, man. Um, We got, again, a couple fights announced, and we knew that these were coming, but now it's official. We can really start talking about it. A couple to look at in April. So the schedule is going to pick up this spring. And I really think that we're going to have a pretty strong year overall with some important fights happening. I really, really do. I'm optimistic. I'm bullish on 2023 for the year of boxing. All right. So April 1st at O2 Arena in London, it is Anthony Joshua coming off his uh, second straight loss to Alexander Usyk. He will be fighting American Jermaine Franklin. So um, anytime... AJ's fighting at the O2 arena. It's a big deal, right? It's a big deal over there in London. It's a big sporting event in England. Uh, Anthony Joshua, perhaps the most famous sportsman in England, definitely one of the most famous sportsmen. So it's a big, big deal. Now, as far as the (coughs) the level of fight for AJ to be coming off of two losses, two straight losses to Alexander Usyk, no shame in that, right? No shame in losing to Alexander Usyk. I think, He's going to be seen as as a, he's already seen as a a great fighter, but his legend is going to continue to grow in the coming years because I really think he's paved the way for um, a a new breed of fighter. We're going to see over the next 10 to 20 years. We'll talk more about that in the future. I'm already losing my voice. Can you guys hear me losing my voice, man? I'm five minutes into the show. I'm losing my damn voice. When you've been talking to baby to sleep all night and all day and then hitting the gym. Yeah, that's what happens anyway. Um, for, for this level of opponent, I'm good with. Um, Jermaine Franklin is coming off a loss, but it was a majority decision loss. I I thought that he clearly lost to Dillian White, but he did give him all he could handle, put up a good fight. That too was at, um, I think that was at Wembley. I can't, remember. that might have been at Wembley anyway. This one's going to be at 02, but this is smart matchmaking by Matchroom. I think that. Jermaine Franklin is a level below Anthony Joshua. He's undersized for this fight. He doesn't hit hard. He's not active enough. I do think he's, he's gained some confidence from that. Even though it was a loss, he gained some confidence from that Dillian White fight last November because he did fight pretty well. But what happened to White also last year? He was annihilated by Tyson Fury, right? So Dillian White against the elite, he's a shot fighter. Dillian White against any of the top five guys is not only going to lose right now, he's going to get stopped and get stopped pretty badly. That's where he's at in his career. So for Franklin to perform fairly well in that fight, but come up just a little bit short, to me, it just kind of shows the guy's level. No disrespect. And I'd love to be proven wrong here. I'd love to be proven wrong in boxing all the time. It'd be great. But um on paper, most of the time, we kind of know who's gonna win, right? Every now and then we're proven wrong. But for the most part, we know who's going to win. And and in this case, I like Anthony Joshua here. Um, It it will just be how dominant can Joshua be? Can he stop Franklin? Can he really put some heat on him and stop him? Can he do what Dillian White couldn't do? Can he separate himself from that version of Dillian White? He should be able to. On paper, he should win this fight pretty decisively and have a nice comeback fight against a a young, quality American heavyweight that I – Jermaine Franklin's probably in the top 20. You got to consider him a top 20 heavyweight, right? So so all things considered, this is a good opponent. Um, I have to make this comparison. Some of you are going to get mad. Trigger warning ready. Deontay Wilder coming back off of two straight losses. Had a fight against Robert Hellenius. Now, you could argue Hellenius was potentially in the top 20 at the time. I don't know. Um, all things considered, though, for what Wilder had faced coming back from those devastating losses, it wasn't a bad choice of opponent for him. I just had an issue with it being pay-per-view personally, but not really the level of opponent. Same case here. In fact, I actually think Jermaine Franklin beats Robert Hellenius if they fight right now. Just due to styles and everything else where Hellenius is at in his career, I think Franklin would beat is pretty decisively so just to put just to level set this fight all right i think it's a pretty decent fight uh but i do like joshua joshua wide points i would be surprised and impressed if he goes out there and gets a mid to late round stoppage i do think it's possible i think that would be like him scoring an a an a grade for that performance wins a decision gets back in the win column okay solid b that would be the grade all right. Uh we'll chop that up as it gets closer, but those are my preliminary thoughts. 2 weeks later in London we have Joe Joyce versus Zelay Zhang, April 15th, uh for the this is for the WBO interim heavyweight uh title. So the winner of this fight will be in line to technically face Alexander Usyk who has most of the heavyweight belts. Um we don't know, but apparently negotiations are ongoing and promising between Tyson Fury, his side and Alexander Usyk, his side for a complete heavyweight unification match over the summer over in the middle East, probably in Saudi Arabia. Uh, but it's, it could potentially go to like Dubai, something like that. Uh, that's the latest scuttlebutt, as they say, that's the latest rumors that uh, things are going pretty well for that, but nothing official or anything like that. Anyway, Winner of this fight will be in line to face the winner of that fight, potentially down the line. If Fury Usyk can't be worked out this summer and that gets pushed back and Usyk wants to take an interim fight, well, perhaps we say, see the winner of Joyce versus Zhang fight Usyk this year. Either possibility, good with me. I like this fight. I know a couple people out there think Joyce is going to dog walk Zhang. I just don't see that. I think Zang is going to be tough. I think he's an improved heavyweight. I think he's beaming with confidence. Again, coming off a loss, but beaming with confidence off of that loss because he did perform well, and the fight was within his grasp, right? So I like this matchup. And if Joyce does dog walk Zang, that's impressive. That would be an impressive A-grade performance in my opinion. Obviously, I like Joyce in this fight. and it could potentially be a late stoppage. But if he absolutely dominates this fight, like a couple of people on Twitter were, some of you guys were saying that if that's what happens, um, that would be really, really impressive. But as long as this lasts, whether it lasts three or four rounds or it goes the distance, it's going to be fun because both guys are really easy to hit Ray Charles with a blindfold on could punch these guys not that he needs a blindfold i'm just saying ray charles with a blindfold on could land punches on these guys okay they're not hard to hit but so far they've shown pretty good chins in their careers they're also massive men they are huge huge mountains of men uh, so this should be pretty fun i, I can't wait I, you know i love the heavyweights and of all the heavyweight fights coming up joyce for saying that's the one I want to see. All right, uh, real quick before I move on, I, I hope he doesn't mind me doing this because I, I don't want to um, overstep any boundaries. But I wanted to uh, just give a quick shout out and ask you guys to keep Eric Lorta in your thoughts. Eric is the um, he is the host, the co-host of the Ringside Reporter podcast. And those of you who are fans of that show, you've seen me on there a few times. I've been on there with uh, Eric and Joe Habib, the other co-host, uh, a few times. Eric lost his father. Um just lost his father. So so um just keep him in your thoughts, guys. I like Eric, I like Joe. They're good guys. I, I, I enjoy their their program. I've been on there several times. I'll probably be on there several more times in the future. And they just seem like good dudes, just good guys. And so I heard about uh the passing of Eric Lorta's father uh today. And um, you guys, you know how I feel about family and um losing a close family member it's it's devastating right so so uh, for those of you who follow ringside reporter or eric on um twitter and stuff man just give him a shout just give him a shout send him a dm just tell him you're thinking about him he could use that right now all right i just wanted to put that out there and eric i'm sorry if you didn't um if i'm overstepping a boundary brother i'm just thinking about you all right guys let's um let's uh let's move forward here let's move forward <clears throat> Okay, uh, let's do the review, and then we got the, a, a preview. I'll try to blow through this as quick as I can so I can hopefully get to a few of your calls. Again, the show's going to be shorter, guys, for the next couple weeks. It just is what it is right now. Uh, let me get some more water because <laughs> so I'm losing my voice. Uh, uh, I'm running out fumes, guys, running out of fumes. All right, uh, so we had two major cards of note here in the U.S. of A. One on the West coast, one on the East coast. Uh, let's start Friday, top rank on ESPN. This was out in Arizona. And uh, the co Arnold Barboza jr. Unanimous decision win over Jose Pedraza, 140 pound fight. Uh, really this was um, both guys did work. Both guys got in there and just put up a, an honest, hard fight. Um, it wasn't scintillating action or anything, but it was a good workman like performance from both men. And, what happened, what's supposed to happen in a, a matchup like this, where you have a younger, fresher guy versus an older, faded guy? The younger guy just did the better work. Barboza was slightly more active, slightly more accurate. He also went to the body a lot more, and that was the difference in the fight. So he, you know, workman like, unanimous decision win, um, which is all positive. But the thing with Barboza, I just don't see an elite level type of fighter in him no disrespect hard-working fighter honest fighter and um gets the most out of his uh talent i, I really feel that you know i really really feel that but he doesn't have that fight changing power to really really get a guy's respect and um that's going to cost him I, 140 is a loaded division and at some point he's maybe going to go up to 47 um that's a pretty good division, too. I do think 147's overrated, and I think it has been for years, but 140 is loaded, dude. And some of those guys at 140, they're gonna be going up to 147 as well in the coming years. So Barboza against the absolute elite, I do think will fall a bit short. However, Bob Aram runs the WBO, and at some point I could see this guy getting lined up for a WBO title shot whether it's an interim WBO belt or a vacant WBO belt, something like that, it just might be a timing thing and a matchmaking thing where he could end up maybe grabbing a title against the right opponent. It's all about matchmaking for him. Against the more explosive, power-punching, athletic 140-pounders, he's just going to come up short. He's just going to come up short. Uh, And again, no disrespect, it's just the level he's at. Very, very good fighter, just not a great one. Just below that, just below that. All right, main event. Um, kind of the same thing, although uh, this this fighter is now technically a three division world champion. Emmanuel Navarrete TKO nine win over Liam Wilson. This fight did have some controversy. We'll talk about that. This is for the vacant WBO junior lightweight title. It's one hundred and thirty pounds. Navarrete is like twenty feet tall. He's massive, right? He, uh, he won a belt at 122. He was a longtime title holder at 122. And then he um, had to fight at 126. All right, he got a belt there. Now at 130, grabs a belt. And, and apparently they are going to move forward with him versus Oscar Valdez next. That's, that's who he was supposed to fight here, but Valdez was injured. So they brought the Aussie in. Um, this fight specifically, Navarrete was knocked down in the fourth round. And it was a legit knockdown. It wasn't a push. It wasn't a trip. And you guys, I'm sure, saw the posts um, on Twitter and and Instagram and stuff where um, it was a very, very long count. It ended up being 27 seconds. Uh, Some idiots out there tried to draw comparisons between that and the first fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder because they just can't let it go. I'm not even going to get into that because it was such a completely different situation. This particular situation, however, um, the count did seem a bit long. And I'll tell you why. Okay. It wasn't the count itself. Navarrete got up, he beat the count. And a lot of people mistake that the 10 count has to be exactly 10 seconds. It can vary. Okay. But generally speaking, If you're up by the count of 10, even if it's 11.357 seconds, technically, you know, specifically, you're good. Navarrete gets up, beats the count. It was the time after that, right? I I feel like he got an extra 20 seconds after getting up. That is what pissed off a lot of Australian fans. Also, um, there was a second knockdown. A a lot of Australian fans, and a lot of fans just in general, not, not just Australian fans feel that Wilson should have been credited with a second knockout. I think, don't quote me here, guys, but if memory serves me correctly, I believe it was the sixth round where a lot of fans felt that Wilson put Navarrete down again. Be all that as it may, okay, Navarrete took over from the seventh round on. Round seven, eight, nine, he really did kind of control the action. He started landing a lot more punches, particularly power punches. He found another gear. Wilson didn't have it at that point, and you just saw a difference in levels here. Wilson kind of had his opportunity in the 4th, 5th, 6th round. Um, I thought he won those rounds clearly, and at that point, he was arguably ahead. Of, actually, was ahead in the fight halfway through, but then Everette found another switch. And seven eight nine uh, does what he has to do and, and gets the stoppage win. So uh, this was really seen as controversial by a lot of fans. And justifiably so, I understand it. Um, business of boxing, though, guys, they're not going to do a rematch. They're, they're not going to go into an immediate rematch here. Wilson was brought in as a stay-busy opponent for Navarrete. And we knew, he knew, his old team knew, Everyone in Australia knew what he was being brought in for and why. I mentioned Valdez got hurt. So Top Rank couldn't do the fight they wanted to do, right? Valdez, by the way, there in, in the audience was their ringside um, kind of setting up the fight that Top Rank clearly wants to do. So business of boxing, unless like the sanctioned organization, the WBO gets involved and says, hey, you got to rematch Wilson. What do I call it? WBO stands for we're Bob's organization. They do whatever the hell Bob Arum tells them to do. So they're not going to mandate a rematch here or anything like that. And I hate to say all this because, you know, it shouldn't be this way, but it's not just this way in boxing. It really is in all sports. You got to know when you're coming in as the opponent, you have to know that you have to know that you're fighting the system, not just an opponent, but the system, right? And Wilson knew that coming in. And he he had an opportunity. He almost had it, almost had it. Navarrete was hurt in that fourth round, but he wasn't he wasn't hurt enough to where um, Wilson could stop him. Wilson had look that fifth round. Navarrete was still glassy eyed and still wobbly, and Wilson just couldn't finish him. Same with the sixth round; just couldn't finish him. And he kind of shot his wad, and then Navarrete took over. So Wilson had the opportunity. To completely screw up all the plans, get a belt the whole nine and just couldn't quite get over the hump. Almost had it. Almost had it. Bad look, though, that long, you know, count and everything. That was a bad look, missing the other knockdown. But in the end, it doesn't matter. Now, had Wilson finished the fight and maybe the scorecards were really close and that knockdown could have been a difference, you know, that missed knockdown could have been a difference in the fight, something like that. then, yeah, we got something to talk about. But here, guys, when Navarrete comes back and gets the stoppage. That pretty much puts an end to this. And, again, business of boxing, they're going to move forward. So, Australian fans, I know you guys are pissed. I understand. I, I feel you, okay? My heart goes out to you and, and um, Liam Wilson, but you got to know what you're being brought in for. And you got to know that the system is rigged going in. And, again, it's not just in boxing. It's in every damn sport, okay? Every sport. Um, but he, when you have that opportunity dude you gotta pounce you can't let it slip through your fingers and i'm saying this as a guy it's happened to me in a fight before where i had an opportunity to stop a guy i didn't do it and i lost a split decision and i had the dude hurt and i just didn't step on the gas and do it so i'm i'm, I'm not just pulling this out of my butt i'm, I'm relating from personal experience here you got to step it up in those moments and get that decision or i'm um, that, that stoppage when you can. Uh, as, as for Emmanuel Navarrete, let me just say this. Uh, he is now, again, a three division title holder. Um, I don't see an elite level fighter here. And this is no disrespect. Once again, he, uh, Emmanuel Navarrete, hardworking fighter. Again, gets the most out of his ability. Now, you can make an argument. He was a weight bully further down the weight scale and all that. He's not going to be a weight bully uh, or size bully at 130. It's good. The guys hit different there. And he's going to start to see that now. Uh, so the advantages he had before are gone now. And he's going to have to really, really step it up even more. But I'm not just I'm not seeing an elite level guy that would compete with like the Shakur Stevensons of the world. I, I don't think he's going to beat Oscar Valdez. I do think that will be a competitive fight because it's two Mexican guys. They're going to go at it. Navarete is going to fight better in that fight than he did against Wilson. Clearly, he took Wilson a bit lightly and didn't train 100%. I do think he'll look a lot better against Valdez. I just think Valdez has more levels, and he'll win that fight. But at the elite level, I'm just not seeing it there for Navarrete. But again, this comes down to matchmaking. comes down to matchmaking. And he got another WBO belt here, the Bob Arum special. All right, let's move on to Saturday, February 4th, in New York City, the Madison Square Garden Theater. Uh, There there was a card – broadcast on Zone, And it was a mostly female card. It was ladies' night, right? The ladies were headlining. This was mostly showcases, if we're being honest. This was mostly showcases. Um, And Eddie Hearn working his magic with the sanctioning organizations to line up some vacant belts for undisputed championships, for two undisputed championships. Uh, so we'll talk about Female boxing and the undisputed championships and the notion that you know the, the women are fighting each other more than the men and some of the ins and outs and all that. I'll get into that in just a minute here. But let's talk about the actual event. Uh Colmaine, Alicia Baumgartner, unanimous decision win over French fighter Elhem Machalid, who has now lost two in a row. Somehow coming off a pretty decisive loss to Delphine Peersoon. She walked right into another title fight. I don't know how that happened. Uh, for an undisputed championship fight be that um, but alicia gets the w she did drop Makhaled twice and um you know this was pretty much a shutout this this was a complete showcase and that was the theme of this card it was showcase after showcase some the, the opponents brought in were tough they hung tough and they had moments but there was just a just such a gap in class when you saw these two women fight, you saw who, who the world-class operator was, and then there was a really tough girl with a ton of heart fighting her. That's that's what you saw. Um, no disrespect, but that's what this was. So now Alicia Baumgartner is the undisputed 130-pound women's champion, all right, junior lightweight. In the main event, undisputed featherweight championship, that's 126, four pounds below where Baumgartner and Makhaled fought. Amanda Serrano, unanimous decision win over Erica Cruz for the undisputed crown. um Cruz fought better than a lot of people expected. uh she landed two hundred plus punches. Copybox credited her with landing two hundred over two hundred punches on Serrano. That was the most ever on an Amanda Serrano opponent. and I do think it is fair to say at this point, Serrano's age. And I think more than anything, the moving up and down in weight is starting to take a bit of a toll. She she recently fought Katie Taylor at 135, dropped nine pounds to do this fight at 126, and now um, they're going to fight again. Serrano is going to move back up to 135. The rematch with Katie Taylor is official for May 20th in Dublin. So she took over 200 punches in this fight and now will bulk up nine pounds and fight Katie Taylor again um I do think that some of these fights just the, the 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 work the volume the rounds and moving up and down in weight and taking all the punches it's starting to wear on Serrano a bit uh perhaps she took Cruz a bit lightly here but this this fight was a little tougher than it needed to be and should have been for her and um it's it'll be interesting to see where she goes from here but she's gotten undisputed at one twenty six now this really probably could be your last fight at 126. There's just no need to drain and go back down to 26 again when there's no super fight there. Here's what I like about this card, okay? I'm going to say a few things here. I'm going to trigger a few people, but um, hear me out. First of all, this this was a great card put on by, it was Eddie Hearn and Matchroom, but it was also Jake Paul and what do they call it Most Valuable Promotions. But let's focus on Eddie Hearn for just a second. Eddie Hearn has done more for women's boxing than anybody else in the history of boxing. And I'm not some Eddie Hearn cheerleader. That that Those are just the facts. When you look at the biggest events in women's boxing and where women's boxing is now, and I'm not just talking about selling tickets at Madison Square Garden or selling tickets over in the UK, because we've seen female fighters sell tickets before all over Europe and all over Asia, you know, particularly Japan, but we've seen female fighters sell tickets before. So that's really nothing new. I think it's the mainstream recognition women's boxing is getting now, including in the industry, because for a long time, the sanctioning organizations really weren't all invested I know the WBC has been for a long time, but some of the other organizations were kind of like, eh, They, they just weren't as heavily involved and they didn't have champions in every division. They weren't trying to get undisputed. They weren't trying to sanction bouts, um, maybe in a couple divisions, but not up and down the weight scale like they are now. Eddie Hearn is a huge part of that. He really, really is. And, um, he deserves credit. So if you're a fan of women's boxing or if you're a female boxer or a manager, a trainer, whoever who represents a female boxer, you should actually be an Eddie Heard fan when it comes to women's boxing because he's put the big shows together and he's built storylines. He has a build with what he's doing with these female fighters. Case in point this card. We know that Serrano is going to fight Taylor next. This this whole card was a commercial for her rematch with Katie Taylor in Dublin in May. Okay, win, lose, or draw, let's say Amanda Serrano loses to, to Taylor again. She's still the undisputed featherweight champion of the world, and she can challenge Alicia Bumgarner for her undisputed 130 championship. So there's that fight, all right? She doesn't have to go all the way back down to 126. she can go down to 130 from 135 to 130, fight Baumgartner for Undisputed. So she just fought for Undisputed at 26. She's about to fight for Undisputed at 35 again. And after that, she could fight for Undisputed at 130. Eddie Hearn runs all of it, so he can make it happen. If she beats Katie Taylor, if she beats her, and, be, and if Amanda Serrano becomes the Undisputed Lightweight Champion of the world, Alicia Baumgartner is bred at 130. She can move up to 135. Boom, that's a huge fight. Huge fight. And Eddie Hearn could bring that right back to New York because now Amanda Serrano has, has been a part of a couple of uh, cards, including the, the the Taylor fight was obviously really, really big. But this this card wasn't nearly as big, but at, still at the Garden. So she's been a couple of, part of a couple of events at the Garden recently and is really building up a fan base there, right? She's always had a fan base there, but you guys hear what I'm saying. So there are so many options Between these three, between – right now you have three undisputed champions from 26 to 30 to 35, and they're popular fighters, man. Baumgartner has become a popular fighter. Serrano's a popular fighter. Katie Taylor's the biggest star in women's boxing right now. So there is plenty of fights between the three of those ladies that we could see over the next 18 months or so. So Herner's really built something here. These storylines – uh, really have provided these women with a lot of opportunities. Okay. Women's boxing versus men's boxing. I, I'm not going to get into this whole political diatribe, but I did see a tweet that went viral this weekend that Clarissa Shields put out. I'm paraphrasing, but she basically said, um, yeah, I understand that there's more male boxers. There's more male talent, but they're not fighting each other. The women are, right? And a lot of People retweeted it, you go, sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rah, rah, rah. There is some truth to what she's saying, and it's it's undeniable, actually. But I will say we have seen several men's divisions become undisputed in recent years. I know 140 has a couple times, 154 has, 168 has, cruiserweight has, right? So we've seen some undisputed championships in men's boxing in recent years. We have seen that. Okay. I, I think that people overlook it. Um, but the economics involved always tell the tale. The reason why we're getting so many undisputed fights in women's boxing is because these women, Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano, Alicia Baumgartner, they can't make as much money fighting whoever they want as they can in these unification fights, these undisputed fights, these fights for all the belts. That is where they're going to make their most money, and Eddie Hearn, because he's so powerful in women's boxing, he can kind of manipulate the ratings and the the sanctioning organizations to pony up vacant belts, like he did for both of these undisputed fights in this in this um, on this card, and he's done it for several of his fighters. Right. Just like Clarissa Shields, people have done for her. Clarissa Shields, I want to say like 75, 80 percent of the titles she's won were completely vacant. They were basically made for her. It's kind of the same thing with Serrano, Baumgartner and and, and Taylor, if we're being honest. okay, and others that I could name. But that's the state of the game right now. People see that, okay, there's actually some money in this now. There's a little juice over here. Let me go ahead and get involved. Let's let's sanction this fight and get that sanctioning fee. Because there's there's something going on over here and it's going to continue to grow in the coming years. It's the fastest growing segment of professional boxing. It really is. Women's boxing, when you look at pound for pound, is the fastest growing segment in the sport. That and the YouTube celebrity boxing, right? The, or I should call it the influencer boxing. Those are the two fastest growing segments in the sport. So um, on the male... Boxing side. There are fighters that can literally just kind of fight whoever they want. They don't need to fight for undisputed championships to make the amount of, to make seven figures. Let's take Javante Davis, for example. I know, I know. Mike, you're such a hater. Look, I'm just telling the truth. Javante has made a career in recent years of fighting B level opposition on pay per view for not even real belts. Most of the time, these are regular belts and interim, belt, you know, all this kind of stuff. Again, his promotion can manipulate the sanctioning organizations, these sanctioning bodies. They're smart, dude. They know how to squeeze their ass. Well, where, f- where it'll fit in and they can get some more money. They're very, very intelligent. And the whole reason they created all these secondary belts is specifically to justify guys like Davis doing what they're doing. And he's not the only one. There's tons of the guys doing what Davis is doing. Uh, maybe not on pay-per-view, but maybe in their home country if they're, they're not American. But the point is, Spence can fight the other guys in the welterweight division and make six figures. He doesn't have to fight Terrence Crawford for Undisputed. He doesn't have to, right? Um, at heavyweight, we haven't seen the guys go undisputed. Uh, you know, Wilder never went for the stuff. He didn't have to. These guys uh, can make enough money fighting whoever they want. And it's not that they're bigger than the belts, it's that the economics involved they can get their seven figures. Now, make, now look, Spence will make more fighting Crawford than he could against Thurman, Porter, the Garcias, right? He'll 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 make more but it's not substantially that much more where it's worth it for him and his promotion to take that risk. If and when they do the undisputed fight with Crawford, they're going to wait it out to the absolute last possible minute, which is what they're doing, right? So that's the biggest difference, guys. That's why, now look, I want to give the women credit because they're stepping up and fighting the, the other top women in the sport were seeing these undisputed championships. Although this card this weekend, this wasn't the best fighting the best. These were two showcase fights. Let me make that very, very clear. This was Eddie Hearn manipulating the sanctioning bodies for showcase fights for undisputed championships. The real fight here would have been Baumgartner fighting Serrano. That would have been a high-level matchup. So you're getting undisputed. It looks great on paper, but these were not premium matchups. This was not the best fighting the best it truly truly was not so I want to make that very clear Th- those are like some of the nuances and differences with what's going on here, okay um in women's boxing, there are not enough top level elite fighters in each division to make for super fights uh between you know the top two or top three top four uh contenders in each division. Girls have to go up and down and wait, and that's why I'm talking about. Serrano at 26, Bumgarner at 30, Taylor at 35, because if these women are willing to go up and down and wait to make these different fights, those are pound-for-pound pound level matchups, right? Those are premium-level matchups. That's more, to me, those kinds of fights in women's boxing are equivalent to men's unification bouts, right? Because of the the, the, the vast difference in talent pool between the two sports. I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense and it didn't trigger too many of you. <sighs> okay. All right. Preview time. So look, we don't have a super huge schedule this weekend. Um, this is uh Super Bowl weekend here in America. This is pretty much a national holiday, right? This is right up there with like Christmas, um, Yom Kippur, Ramadan, like all these big, big holidays, right? that's pretty much what the super bowl is. So um, you're not, no, no boxing promoter is going to put on a huge show this weekend. Uh, but PBC does have a card, TGB promotions to be exact at the Alamo dome in San Antonio, Texas. This will be broadcast on showtime, regular showtime, not pay-per-view. And there's not a whole lot here to talk about. This isn't the greatest card on earth. Lanier Pero, an undefeated Cuban heavyweight, 8-0. and PBC loves their Cuban heavyweights. Going up against undefeated Ukrainian heavyweight, Victor Weikhurst. So 8-0 Cuba, 11-0 Ukraine heavyweights. There you go. That might be the most interesting fight on in the entire card, to be honest with you. Uh, Mario Barrios going up against Giovanni Santiago. Both of these fighters coming off two consecutive losses. So this is basically... A loser goes home type of fight, um, and then in the main event, Ray Vargas versus Oshaki Foster for the vacant WBC Junior Lightweight Championship. Of course, the real champion was Shakur Stevenson, the legit, you know, elite level fighter of the division. Uh, but he did not make weight for his last fight and was stripped of his unified belts. So this is one of them, Navarrete. Now grabbed one of them, and now Vargas is going to grab one of them here. Uh, Vargas moving up, long-time title holder at 122, had two fights at 126, barely won his last fight against Mark Magseo. I think that was like a split decision, majority decision. I think Vargas might have been dropped in that fight, if I remember correctly. Um, Not the most friendly style. This will not be a very fan-friendly fight. Uh, So the main event is probably going to be a bit of a letdown. Hey, maybe we'll be proven wrong here, but that's how I see it. Um so Vargas probably going to grab a belt here at 1:30. Uh, all right. Got to hydrate. Now, let's see. Um we do have a couple calls. I'll grab a couple calls real quick guys. Let's keep it fairly quick, all right? But we'll grab a couple calls here and um we'll chat a little bit for a few minutes, all right? Let's get this first one from the UK. 796, you were on the show. What's up?
1: Yeah, hello, Mike. How's it going? It's been a while, man.
0: Yeah, what's up, Ahmed? How you doing, brother?
1: Not too bad. Uh, first, I was going to ask you, how's your mother doing at the moment?
0: I My mom. Think, I
1: think he used to, yeah. Um, she
0: is doing a little better Um, without getting into a bunch of technical details. She had to get... She's had a bunch of tests done and like hospital stays, but she's gotten on some new medication that's helping her a little bit. Me and my sister are trying to work to get her. Uh, we got to sell her house. We got to get her into like an assisted living kind of a place. So that's what we're working at right now. Uh, and that's just a crazy process, bro. Cause I'm like out of state and it's, it's, you know, dealing with the baby. Yeah. So yeah, I've been going through a lot. But uh, thank you for asking, man. I appreciate that, man.
1: No, no resort. My thoughts are with you. And thank you. And, and your mom as well. But regarding boxing, um, I, I just wanted to talk about a couple of stuff. I didn't manage to watch the card uh, the other day. I know there was some controversy. I read about it, but I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of things. Uh, first thing is AJ Jermaine if fight. Do you think that's a better matchup than, say, if A G fought Otto Wallin? Because I thought that was a very good fight. Uh, I don't blame A. G. for not taking the fight, but my only criticism is it looks like neither Dylan White or AJ are in the rush to get in the ring with Valine.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you, Ahmed. I think that Valin, um has some of the intangibles that Franklin doesn't. I think he's a bigger, more physical, more athletic heavyweight, and he he throws harder punches. His style would be a little more difficult for AJ to deal with. I think Franklin is really good matchmaking for him at this point because he's going to be punching down at Franklin. And uh, he's going to see everything coming. And Franklin's not very active. He's not a very active puncher and a hard puncher. So, um, yeah, I I, I I I agree though. Wallen would have been a better opponent. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think he's a bad comeback fight, but I do think some people are going a bit over the top. not In terms of the criticism, tips in terms of giving the thing fight like the pass because it's not a pay per view, but. I just read earlier on that the zone subscription in the UK has gone from £8 a month to £20. And annually, I think it costs £100. But I don't think some people would want to sign up. Like, I would not mind signing up for that fight and a couple of other fights if I could just pay, like, say, £10 a month. But if you're going to charge £20 for the month, that's essentially, you're essentially charging people £20 for just one fight. There's not there's not much content on there like there's no there's no Premier League football there's no there's no other sports like there. I don't know about on ESPN like they got UFC in America they got other things so uh, th- that's my criticism with the, what the zone are doing because at, at the beginning, it started quite cheap uh, which obviously wasn't going to sustain for a long time but they also charged for people here in the UK for Canelo and Golovkin. Wow. and the first fight wasn't on pay per view. The first fight, which was a bigger, one of the biggest ever fights, wasn't on pay per view. Granted, it wasn't only I think about ten pounds here, but they said at the beginning it wasn't gonna. They weren't gonna make that third fight pay per view. So I, I don't know who's making these decisions. Uh, I don't think you're Eddie him entirely, but whoever's running whatever business plan there, I don't think they're doing a good job.
0: Yeah, I, I think your criticism is very valid, Ahmed. I mean, Twenty bucks a month—that's steep, especially if you're not getting the football. Because I know a lot of other countries, like in Italy and in other countries, they're getting football too on top of the boxing. So that's very important to the sports fans over there. And I know football is very big in England. Um, of course, I'm talking about fo- not American football. Your guys' football. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if that's not included. 20 bucks a month for a fight that, that's a lot that's that's asking a lot of money uh or i'm sorry 20 20 pounds yeah. a month um so yeah i i'm with that's you man. about
1: 25 dollars yeah that's about 25 if you that's a lot. On top, they they don't but they don't have anything else on there like see if they had other support uh or say i don't know see even if they were showing boxing pbc cards i know that's not going to happen but at least then people got something to Look forward to, but if you're just charging for maximum cards, like
0: that's a great. Point. I, I'm not
1: sure if it's like, like, look. There's a couple of good fighters I like that maximum signed in the last couple of years, um, Canelo, and I think it was Roman Gonzalez. But some of these guys barely fight; like, they fight once a year. So yep. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I I'm not sure. I I I haven't signed up to Desont since last July. I think I got to see Chisora Pulev. I think it's was Ryan Garcia's fight and a couple of other fights. That was only for like eight pounds for the month. The May before that, I got to see Golovkin Murata, and Canelo Bivol. Right now, I don't, I don't know. Like, um, Charging people were on top as well last year. I don't think that helped as well.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know how this business plan is going to continue to... I just don't know if it's going to be sustainable you're going to have to provide premium content if you're asking 20 pounds a month, because that, that adds up, especially right now with inflation and, and the, you know, the difficult economy going on um, that that's a tough sell. And remember Hamad, yeah. these, these are the guys that were saying, you know, death to pay-per-view um, you know, RIP yeah. pay-per-view and, and here it is. They're charging pay-per-view. I mean, the fact that you guys over there had to pay pay-per-view for Canelo Golovkin, that's disgusting. That's just disgusting. I understand why they charged it yes. in America, but you guys shouldn't have to pay that over there. That's terrible, man. On top of the subscription
1: as well. That's terrible. You have to subscribe. You have to subscribe to become a subscriber. And then pay people view. Mm-hmm. I would have understood if it was the first or second fight, but the third fight, which I was critical of, I thought I'd give it a pass. It is on pay view here, but. That's my criticism. I was gonna say one last thing before I go. Sure. Do you think there's some trouble with uh, the guy who owns it? the guy who owns his own is it Blutnik or whatever his name is, the Russian guy? Um, as far as I know,
0: he's a multi-billionaire. So financially and stuff, they're they're fine. Um I don't know if maybe assets have been frozen or something's going I I, I don't know. But as far as I know, they are financially solvent and they actually did pretty well globally, financially last year, and they think they're going to be in the black in 2023. So, I, as far as I know, they're okay.
1: All right, yeah. There is one good fight I will say on the schedule, but I think is re- if you if you just look at men's boxing, is the Lee Wood and Maurice Lara fight. Oh, I yeah. think that's a fight I'm really looking forward to. But the rest of the schedule, I think is kind of lackluster, but you could say the you can probably see the same about the PBC schedule as well. But thanks for taking the call, Micah. Speak to you soon,
0: Bob. Thank you, Hamad. I appreciate it, brother. Um, yeah, I completely agree with Hamad. The, the best fight, the best matchup this month is Wood versus Lara. That's the best matchup in February. So, um, yeah, other than that, it's kind of thin this month, guys. Uh, I, I completely skipped over this super chat. I'm so sorry, Chad. Papa Chubby with a super chat. Thank you so much. He said, uh, Mike, can you discuss the, the, the issue with the scales in Emmanuel Navarrete? Thank you for reminding me. I completely forgot about this. I'm so sorry. And uh, I guys had emailed me and DM me about this on Twitter and stuff because uh, a lot of you were pissed. So, look, I didn't watch the weigh-in. I've heard um, a couple comments here. Glenn here in the comments section uh, says, according to the scales, the Queenslander was a shocking 126.3 pounds. Uh, while overwhelming fight favorite Navarrete was almost bang on at 129.2 pounds. However, Wilson said that he had, just prior to officially getting on the scales, had jumped on there, and it was pretty much at the 130 limit. So it appeared, and again, this is all, let me just preface, this is alleged. This is speculated, okay? Uh, I wasn't there at the weigh-in. I cannot confirm or deny any of this. But there are a lot of Australian fans who are pissed off. They feel that the scale may have been tampered with and that Navarrete may have technically been a little bit over the 130-pound weight limit, and there was some shenanigans going on with the scales. When you couple that with what took place on fight night with that long count and stuff, I can see why a lot of fans are pissed. Uh, Once again, guys, when you are brought in as the opponent, and this happens at all levels in the sport from all the way down in the amateurs, all the way up into the highest levels of the professional ranks, you have to ensure that your people, your management, your team is protecting you. And you gotta have your head on a swivel and watch for all the tricks. Now, again, I'm not saying Navarrete and his people did anything to the scale. I cannot confirm or deny. I'm just telling you what people have told me and what they're saying. That's what people out there are saying. Um, But, you know, again, if you think it only happens like in situations like this where they're bringing in an Australian into America, look, man, Canelo Golovkin that first fight. I remember talking to Tom Loeffler Abel Sanchez, and Gennady Golovkin. I was doing a preview piece for Boxing Monthly Magazine. Some of you guys have heard their story 800 times. I'm sorry, I'm repeating it. (laughs) But uh, I I remember interviewing them. I actually talked to them at Big Bear uh, after a workout, and uh, they were so kind to actually speak with me right after a workout. I mean, Golovkin was still sweaty and the whole night. Um, But I talked to them, and um, I actually called Abel's phone, and Gennady just jumped down, and, and we chatted and stuff. But I remember telling all three of them: "Are you guys sure you could get a decision in Vegas against Canelo? Are you sure? Are you really overlooking looking at these judges and be, you know the panel of judges? Are, are and they all went in thinking we're good, we're fine, it's not a big deal. And then what happened? So even at that level, Gennady Golovkin was a world class, highly accomplished fighter, Olympic medalist, champion in the pros. The whole nine at that point, right? He was considered a star in the sport, and it happened to him." where, you know, Adelaide Bird and that whole thing. So it happens at every level of the sport. If, let me just say this, if, and it's a huge if, there was any tampering with the scale. And again, who this could all just com- be complete speculation. People love to create conspiracies. So again, I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just repeating what has been talked about. But if something like that did occur, I actually put it on Wilson's team. I put that on his team for not being sharp enough to catch that, have somebody right there in the moment seeing everything and filming it and reporting it. That's on them. Expect the worst. I hate to be that guy, but in life, it is always best to prepare for the worst while hoping for the best. Always remember that, guys. All right. <clears throat> so I hope I address that uh, properly. Properly. Because, <laughs> again, all alleged, okay? Um, I thought I saw another Super Chat in there before we move on. and We've only got about 10 minutes left here, guys. We got CJ Duncan with the Super Chat. Thank you so much, CJ. He said, uh, meant to send with prior comments. Smash that like button. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. Everyone, yeah, if you're not smashing the like button, you're a terrible person. So smash it now. You don't want to be a bad person, do you? Smash the like button. Get on it. We got another super chat from Aaron Gortman. Thank you so much, Aaron. Uh, and Aaron emailed me about this specific incident. He said, Mike, not sure why, but my last email to you bounced back. Top rank Aram is the absolute worst. After seeing what it pulled on, uh, what they pulled on Wilson with the scales, ref, long count, yeah, I know. Aaron's pissed, guys, and he's not alone. There's a lot of people. And Aaron, I feel your pain, brother. Listen, there are a million little stories like that that I could tell you, and that's the thing. Um, you know, one of the privileges that I have enjoyed in my small little profile here in the boxing universe is I've gotten to talk to so many fighters and I'm not just talking about like the star guys. I'm talking about the mid-level dudes, right? And, and the the quote unquote, journeymen, those kinds of guys have trained with a lot of them. And the stories you hear, Holy shit. The stuff I hear my trainer, Christian Steele, professional fighter out of Philly, he tells me some stories, some things that were done to him. He's a guy that got ripped off literally dozens of times. Dozens. I've seen some of the fights that he lost by decision. I'm like, how was that legal? How were they able to legally do that to you? Uh, they actually, he, he's had situations where like they stopped fights early. And said, oh, this isn't an eight-round fight. This is six rounds. Because he was beating the shit out of their guy. And they just commission stepped in, said, oh, no, this is six rounds. We're going to end this fight. What? The contract says eight rounds. Um, stuff like that. Dude, you have to protect yourself. You have to protect yourself. And you know the best way you can do that now? This little gadget right here. If If I'm a boxing trainer... If I am an advisor, a trainer, hell, if I'm uh, you know, it, it, a boxer's wife that's in the locker room, I'm pulling this bad boy out and I'm filming everything that happens. Everything. I don't know why more people aren't doing that. Pull this little bad boy out. For, for those of you listening to the audio pod, I'm holding up my iPhone right now. This is an iPhone ad, okay? I'm just saying, it's so easy. Pull this bad boy out and film shit. Film, go into the other room and watch the other guy getting his hand wrapped. Watch what's going on with the scale. Have somebody standing there the entire time. It's free. Filming shit's free. So, so listen, it, it, there were some bad looks this weekend. It's part of the sport. It's part of all sports. It's part of life. Uh, You guys got to, you know, the lesson here for Wilson and he'll, he'll learn this. He knows it now. He'll take it with him going forward. Arm yourself, dude. Arm yourself. Aaron with another super chat. Thanks again, brother. He said, um, why is it so hard for international boxers to get a fair shake on American soil? American refs, judges, promoters are the most biased. Listen, I, I can't blame you for having that opinion, okay? Um, I, I, for the record, I could pull examples of American fighters getting ripped off in Germany. And in, in other parts so of Germany, had a horrible reputation for a long, long time. But to your point, Aaron, the majority of the big fights happen in America. And if we're looking at the worst, shittiest robberies that we have seen in this sport just over the last 10 years, it's undeniable the majority of them do happen in the United States. So I understand why you have that perspective. Um, once again, if I'm a, a quote-unquote foreign fighter, non-American fighter, coming to the United States for a fight, I am taking extraordinary precautions to ensure that I am not being effed with. And that might mean hiring – this might sound paranoid, but I, that might mean hiring security personnel to inspect what you're eating, to inspect the water you're drinking. I'm I'm serious. If I'm fighting for a world championship, and let's say I'm getting paid $200,000, I don't mind spending twenty grand of that for extra security and, and just having people around the film stuff. I'm taking every precaution, man. I'll, I'll dump 10% of my purse on that. I think more of these guys need to start doing that. Also, I'll say this. Look at which promotions bring guys in and pull this kind of shit. Because some of these promoters do have a history. Will the boxing degenerate fan Lynch? Thank you so much for the super chat. He says, uh, "Isn't it sad that Pryor had to go in front of Congress to explain himself for the brown bottle, and now the cheating is so blatant that even Vada calls it out, and nothing happens?" Wow, Will. I, you know what? Uh, you're right, dude. I, that you're so right, uh, Aaron Pryor. You know, you guys remember. Uh, you know, the, the Brown bottle, Hey, get the other bottle, the one I mixed, right. That whole thing. Um, yeah, that's kind of an infamous quote and he literally had to go before Congress, but there's a lot of stuff going on that, um, it just seems to get swept under the rug. I'll I'll say this, dude, you know, where the biggest problem is will boxing media. Um, I've been thinking about boxing media a lot lately. It's me and my wife have been talking about just the future, what I want to do. It's, it's really trending downward. And maybe it's indicative of all media, but people do not want to lose their access. And there are just certain things going on that are so unethical it's hard to be one of the guys out there trying to tell the truth. Um, And you get attacked and beat up. And I've been beat up and I've been attacked. And these guys couldn't get me for poor job performance. They couldn't get me for doing things on the job that were bad. They couldn't get me for doing anything in real life that was bad. Um, You know, I don't have a record or anything like that. They had to go find tweets from a decade ago and social media posts that were like poorly worded, offensive jokes I told and stuff like that. To attack me and beat me up. That's how desperate they were to shut me up and get me off of platforms because I was one of the guys willing to talk about some of this shit. To your point about Vada, Will, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole here, but I will just say this Premier Boxing Champions, when they do exclusive Vada contracts for their fighters for particular fights, there's hush clauses on it. Vada is not allowed to tweet or post on their site that you know fighter x and fighter y are doing the vada testing program they do it for every other promotion but pbc says you're not going to talk about this publicly we want it kept quiet kind of defeats the whole purpose of what vada is right and i know that there are several pbc fights that um they were literally just doing state drug testing so like Nevada state of commission drug testing for some of the fights that they had, they had in Vegas, but they were using VADA administrators to collect the sample and send it to the lab. So they, through their media outlet, which is boxing scene, which is owned by the same companies that own PBC um, or where they're, you know, they stream their stuff, they broadcast their stuff. So they have a, a, a media outlet Reporting it basically as a VADA testing. Yet the fighters weren't being tested for the full VADA panel, and there was no transparency with the media or the public about um, how often samples were being collected, what kind of samples, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, nobody talks about just that. Nobody talks about, well, hey, if you're doing testing for Caleb Plant and David Benavides, why can't VADA announce this publicly? Why can't they? Blasted on their site because when top rank fighters test or matchroom fighters test, they always announce it. They announce it on their social media and their website. Why the hush clause? It kind of defeats the purpose. Why? That doesn't make any sense. Um, and like nobody pushes back, nobody asks. And if you are one of the guys who asks, they go after you, and they'll find any way they can to shut you down, even if they got to dig back ten years through thousands of posts, they literally went through thousands, thousands of posts to find a few where I made jokes about rape and stuff. It was really stupid, regrettable. I've condemned those jokes. I deleted the posts. Absolutely don't stand by it. Read it now. And it's cringeworthy and embarrassing. But for me to be attacked over that, that's how desperate you were to shut me up. That's the problem, Will. That's why nobody's being held accountable for some of the nonsense going on. All right, guys. um, Look, sorry about that rant. Had to get that off my chest. But that's it for the show today. Uh, I I got a couple of you guys on hold. I'm sorry. Um, We'll get you next week. All right. We'll get you next week. Enjoy Super Bowl Sunday personally. I don't really give a shit about this game. I just don't care about these two teams. I just don't care. I'm just not interested. Normally, I really like the Super Bowl. I just don't care about these teams. Maybe next year will be better. All right, guys. Have a great week. We'll do it again Monday. Enjoy yourselves. I'll see you at the fights. Peace.